And in fact, I want to sit a little bit close to you guys today. Uh, this is such a precious and intimate setting, and I know you guys have already noticed my wife and I always bring the chairs, and that's done intentionally because of um, how we believe that God wants us to receive the word, that it's not coming from people who are highly elevated above us, but we're all in this journey together. That's why you don't have a stage. We're all in this together. It's a, it's a journey together. And even though there are different roles and assignments that we are given in the body, just like the physical body, every part has its function. And, but but um, it, we're all needed and we're all a part of something very unique and special that God is doing in the earth. In fact, you guys don't even know, many of you may not know how much you are a part of what God is doing in Harrisburg. Uh, my wife and I have been serving there and ministering there for uh, uh, almost 12 years now. And um, um, in particularly the last year or so, the Lord opened up doors for my wife and I to go and minister in an unemployment center, uh, the Pennsylvania Career Link. And we work with particular a section that's called the Job Club. And these are people who have lost their jobs. Many of them have lost jobs that they've had for 10, 15, 20 years. They've been working those jobs a long time. And now they've lost those jobs and they're having to start all over again. And they're in their, they're in their mid 40s and 50s and 60s. And how many of you know that's a pretty tough time to be trying to start all over? <laughs> and so they started something that they called the Job Club to help all these folks who needed to uh, get retrained for other positions, write resumes all over again, and, and learn how to do interviews in today's world. Um, because for most of them, when they graduated from high school and went out into the workforce, you were able to just walk in face to face, you know, talk to the boss and, and either get hired or they or not. But now there's this long process of you got to get online, put your application through the computer. And if you don't have your own computer, then you got to go to the public library or someplace and apply online. And there's never any, hardly any face-to-face -face con, you know, contact with people until they call you. And if they call you, then you're rushed into a human resource office and they throw 10 or 15 questions at you and you're supposed to somehow come through with your personality and what you who you really are in 10 minutes and 15 questions and so they, they work with people to get them ready for that well uh, the Lord opened up an opportunity for, for us to go in and just to talk and share with folks like that who are in a really tough time bills behind mortgage behind car payments are behind and you're trying to make a good impression and so the Lord gave us the chance to go in and to encourage people. And that's really what we do. We just go in and we're, they've got a really nice sized room and anywhere from 30, 35 people. And, uh, and we'll just start encouraging them that it's okay. Um, it's gonna be all right. And then we say some things that you maybe you're not supposed to say in that type of setting. Say things like, I believe that we were all created in the image of God. And contrary to what some of you have been told, that God only helps those who help themselves, we believe that God helps those who can't help themselves. 
And because you were created in the image of God, you've got a purpose in God. Yeah. And so even though life has gone horribly wrong right now, we want to encourage you that it's not going to always be this way. And we've sat in there and, and talked and shared and watched people who sometimes they come in and they're very down, they're very depressed, some are even angry because of the way they may have lost their jobs. And, and uh, the Holy Spirit comes into the room, you guys. I want you to understand that you know, I, I hardly, we, you know, we can't say the word Jesus and things like that, but you can at least say God. Yes. You can say God, our creator. You can say things like that. But we've watched the Holy Spirit just come into the room and people, they get all misty-eyed. And because of the setting, you know, people don't want us to let you see them cry. You know, so they're kind of bow their heads a little bit or fight back the tears because finally they're hearing some encouraging words. They're hearing something different other than all of the reasons why this isn't going to work. And many people, they walk in with such huge weight, such huge problems on them and such a great weight on their shoulders that um, what has happened is we've been doing this since October and we go in once each month. And so it's gotten to the point where the people who, uh, one of the women, she's in our church and she's actually the director of this job club. Isn't it amazing how God does things like that? And uh, uh, she says that, all through the week and all through the month, they've got all kinds of workshops and seminars and everything throughout the month. And it's, you know, just a few people attend, you know, five, ten people come to those. But they said every time, she said, Pastor, every time you guys come, the room is totally filled. Crazy. It's always packed out because people want a word of encouragement. Amen. Come on, give God yeah. praise for that. And you guys have been a part of that. The support that you have given to us uh, when we come and, and uh, the love offering and, the, and just the way, that's what keeps us free to keep going into the city and being able to minister like that. So I want you to know that when we stand before God and he gives us, he says, well done, because we're going we're gonna to stay there until he's, we want that. We want him to say, well done, my good and faithful service. But when we receive our reward for doing that, I want you to understand that you're going to be part of that. You're going to be like, but we, we, we weren't physically there, but you made it possible for us to be there. Another place that we're in is in one of the local women's shelters. Uh, and right there in, in, I mean, in the worst part of Harrisburg. And we go in there and uh, we're ministering to both the staff and the residents, the women who happen to find themselves in that situation of being homeless. And with the staff, uh, the director of this shelter is a believer. Isn't this amazing? <laughs> and we met her through a prayer gathering, through a prayer meeting. And we didn't know who she was, and she didn't know who we were, but when she uh, found out what was in our heart and what we were starting to do in Harrisburg. She invited us and said, I want you to come and, and uh, share with our staff and share with the residents, with the women that come. And so same thing. Every month we go in, my wife and I, and we're ministering to the staff. And we're taking them through, it's called life coaching. That's the word, the buzzword now is life coach, because we can't say pastor. 
We can't say evangelist and missionary, even though we're doing all of that. But we say life coach. And so it's amazing. The world says, okay, come on in. You can talk. You can talk to us if you say life coach. So we're talking. We, we go in and, we, and we're walking the staff through a series of questions that helps them to understand where they are. Because how many of you know, uh, for the role that they have of ministering to women and children that are coming to them, they're, they're, there's a level of maturity and strength that they need to have. And so we just walked them through a series of questions. And like this past week, one of the questions was, uh, do you believe in God or higher power? And how does that fit into your life? <laughs> and the same day, that afternoon, we meet with the residents. We meet them with, with them one-on-one. -on -one. So with, with the residents, it's not with everybody there. We've, we tried to do it with everybody there, but it's not, not so good because it's already embarrassing to be homeless and all of that. So we meet with them one-on-one. -on -one. That way people can really feel free to open up and to talk about what they're going through and how they ended up in this situation. And this past week, it was just amazing as the Lord just guided our conversation with each woman, with each and each one, and led us to the point where we were able to pray for them. And then we had lots of tears. Oh, my God, we had lots of tears this week. And the reason why that's important is because we're not – everybody's not ready for healing, even when they come to the point of crisis. You know, there are some people that are still fighting. They're still trying to hold on to their position, or hold on to their pride. Well, this past week, we saw some women, they were just at a place of such brokenness and needing help so badly that they were willing to receive the prayer, and we prayed for them. And it's a number, it's, it, you'd be amazed at the number of people who grew up in church or around church or have loved ones who love God, and, but they're not so sure about this God thing. In fact, one of the young ladies, uh, you know, she's, she's one of those ones who's been incorrectly taught that God put these trials on her. Many people have been told that, that when things happen to them, you've, the phrase goes like this, God won't put on you more than what you're able to bear. And we told her, no, that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says it's the thief who comes to steal and to kill and to destroy. But Jesus said, I come that you might have life and life more abundantly. See, people have gotten off. They'll say certain things like that first reference, God won't put on you more than what you're able to bear. That's not what he says. The Bible actually says we, there's no temptation except what is common to man. Yeah, and, and with the temptation, the Lord provides a way of escape. There is no temptation that we're not able to bear. Now, temptations and trials are two different things. Temptation comes to us in the midst of trials. How many of you have had some unbearable trials? There are some things that are just unbearable. We cannot, in our own strength, bear it. Losing a loved one, that's... That's pretty tough, and, but if we incorrectly uh, explain that to someone, they'll think God caused this tragedy, and he's just using this tragedy to see how much I can bear, to test me. And because we've been taught those types of things uh, improperly, you got people in the world, think about it, not only believers, but people in the world who don't understand the ways of God. And they hear believers say things like that, and in their interpretation, 
God calls my homelessness. God killed my brother. You hear about all the different acts of violence happening in Harrisburg and in their thinking, God did this because I heard grandma say or aunt or uncle say, God won't put on you more than what you're able to bear. So in their interpretation, God's doing these things. Isn't that horrible? So it becomes important for us that we rightly divide the word of God. Yeah, because here's one of the things we explained to our folks in urban life. First of all, they, even that passage of scripture that talks about the temptations and all that, that's for believers. You don't tell an unbeliever. <laughs> You don't tell an unbeliever, well, I know that these, all of these things are happening to you, but no temptation is overtaking you except for what is common to man. But with the temptation, God provides a way of escape. All of that is passage in scripture broken down for the, for the believer. And the reason why I say that is because that comes from uh, 1 Corinthians, I believe it's the 10th chapter, and Paul was explaining the journey that God's people took from Egypt going through the wilderness and going to the land of promise. And so in the midst of the wilderness journey, all these, tempt, all these trials came upon them, and in every trial they were tempted to go back to Egypt. That was the teaching. So you're talking about people who have come out, come out of sin, going through his process of purging and preparation to get them into his true purpose for their lives. So when you tell us someone who's still in Egypt, no temptation has come upon you except for what's coming. Like, no, no, that doesn't work because they haven't come out of Egypt yet. They haven't come out of sin. They're not on their journey process to get to God's promise and purpose for their lives. They're still in sin enjoying the pleasures of Egypt, <laughs> but also suffering the consequences in Egypt. And so if we say to them things that don't apply, then they get, a to they get totally messed up and confused about what, we're, what this word actually means. They're thinking, what an awful, horrible, evil God that he would put these things upon me. So the correct thing to tell a, a, someone who doesn't know God, who's in the midst of their trial and even consequences of sin is the thief comes to steal and to kill and to destroy. So next time you run into a family member and that's what's happening in their lives, don't, don't tell them, don't give them 1 Corinthians. <laughs> Tell them, Jesus said, the thief came to steal and kill and destroy from you. But Jesus came that you might have life and life more abundantly. Isn't that great? That was just a side note. I said all of that to say thank you, thank you, thank you. <laughs> See what happens when you give the preacher the mic? <laughs> I said all of that to say thank you, thank you, thank you so much for the invitation to come and to minister and to, and to be a part of this fellowship. I want you to know that you guys are helping us in Harrisburg. Some of you, sometimes Gary and I talk, we talk about our different calls and rolling, roles in life. And he says, man, I could never do what you do. I said, man, I could never do what you do. <laughs> but that's how it is. We all have a place, and God equips us for that place. But there's this one special part, and we're going to talk about it briefly today, 
there's this aspect of the body of Christ where one joint supplies another because we're connected in such a precious way. Yeah. And so we just wanted to say thank you, Pastor. Thank you, family. Can, I call, can we call you family? Thank you, family, so very much because we're, we're able to do what we do in Harrisburg because of you. We're not on our own. We're by no means at all have we ever felt like this is something that we're doing on our own and it's all about us. Y'all, you guys are helping us. Before I go any further, I want you guys just to welcome mom. Say hi. Yay! <laughs> Mom's been with us from the beginning, uh, following our journey, in our journey, and we love her very dearly. I call her my mother in love. I don't have to say mother in law because I don't need the law to make me love her. <laughs> Bless the Lord. You got something for me, dear? Have you got anything to share? Okay, all right. <laughs> See that look? <laughs> that was a look of love. The look of love. <laughs> Last time we were here, we were talking about uh, the benefits of being part of a faith family. And this goes right in line with the things Pastor shared earlier as God is preparing us for the days ahead. There's going to be a tremendous benefit to be part of a faith family. There really, really is. We're living in a time where a lot of people are walking away from churches and church assemblies. And I understand some of the reasons why. Uh, because in, in many, there's a lot of just entertainment and hype and you know excitement, but not necessarily of rooting and grounding people in the word of God. And people really making connections with one another and building solid relationships. So it's more like going to a concert every week and hearing an inspirational speaker rather than people who really share uh, in common uh, ground with one another. And like we just said earlier, make it a journey together, yes. really encouraging each other, supplying one another what's necessary. So we talked about community. Remember, I want to just give you a quick refresher. Last time we were here, we talked about community. Um, they want, one of the benefits of being part of a faith family is having a place of community for us. Uh, and we use Acts, the second chapter, verses 40 through 47, as the example where the when the people of God, uh, um, when God first brought the church together, they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in the breaking of bread and in prayers, and how they continued daily with one accord in the temple, breaking of bread and house to house. And then the next one we talk about, the second benefit is communion. There's a Greek word uh, for communion. It's koinonia. Some of you have probably heard that word before. But a faith family is a great place. One of the benefits is that it's a great place to really develop koinonia. And that's that sense of, uh, of, of fellowship and unity, um, the sharing of intimate feelings and thoughts with, with one another. Um, a place where you can even share your hurts, <laughs> pains, disappointments. And, uh, and when you've got a pastor like Pastor Paul, a place where you can enjoy lots of jokes and laughs and, and, <laughs> and many, many stories. I love the stories. <laughs> um, but we also shared that communion. Uh, uh, we dealt with the, uh, the breaking of bread part of communion, meaning the partaking of the Lord's table. Uh, the bread and the wine they used to have in those days. And, uh, and what Jesus said for them to uh, partake of that particular supper in, rem to, in remembrance of him. And every time you gather, do this in remembrance of, of me. 
And uh, we talked about how one of the things that the Apostle Paul brought up in 1 Corinthians 11 is before you partake of that, of that Lord's table that way, he said, let, let a man examine himself. And so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. And so we, I didn't want to get into that whole teaching. You can go back and watch, listen, I said watch, listen to that, to that video from the, that video, that audio. You can tell I do a lot of videotaping, right? <laughs> you can go and listen to that audio from the last time that we here, we were here. But it says if you do, you bring judgment upon yourself when you partake of the, of the bread and the cup without discerning the body. And discerning the body really means this, distinguishing really being honest with the with where you are don't come into the body pretending that everything is okay you know you've sinned you know you've messed up don't come into that union into that unity and that communion pretending get it straight between you and god Amen. and we're going to talk about a little bit later today hopefully even get it straight between you and another brother and sister yes. discern the body we're united and in unity here. So a faith family is a great place to, uh, where you've got this sense of accountability, not just between you and one another, but primarily this constant reminder to keep things straight between you and God. Isn't that great? The other thing, the last thing we talked about was uh, the faith family is a great place for camaraderie. I love that word. And how uh, camaraderie, I use this example, a high level of camaraderie, especially among athletes on and off the field, not only makes it fun to play that sport, but it most likely is going to make you have a winning team because they get to know each other so well that that carries over onto the field or onto the court. They just know each other so well, even beyond the called play, we know each other so well. Isn't that awesome? So that even if a play breaks down and it doesn't go according to plan, you already know this guy or this girl's tendency. Why? Because you know each other away from the field, and you know what they're going to do, even when something doesn't go as planned. Camaraderie does that. And we looked at different passages of Scripture where the Apostle Paul was giving these greetings, and he'd talk about all the different people. You know, tell such and so I said hi, and tell them I said hello, because this was my brother, this is my sister. One, we saw that there's even a, an African woman. He said, tell my mom hi. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and he talked, mentioned different people who he had uh, labored with, yes. even in prison. Also, when you read those greetings, you see an incredible sense of camaraderie, and we see that. Every time we come uh, here to, to the barn, we see the camaraderie amongst you. You guys have been through a lot together. You really have. It's amazing to me that you can still smile after all the things that you've been through together. And tell jokes, and tell jokes about it. <laughs> Even though it wasn't funny at the time, was it? <laughs> and now we're going to just talk about the next one. We hopefully can get through. We're going to talk about care. Another one of the benefits of, of, of a faith family. It's a place of care. And I'll let Carol just begin. Um, and we use we uh, use Second Peter three through five for care, casting all your care on Him, for He cares for you. So in a faith family, there are those who not only help to remind you of the Father's love and provision for you. 
but they will also be people who will care for you. They'll pray with you. They will labor with you. They will endure with you. They will go through with you. You're not alone in, in whatever issue you're, issue you're dealing with. They are there with you to bear you up, to help you, to encourage you um, during those times. Um, in Acts 2, 44 and 45, it says, Now all who believed were together and had all things in common and sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. And Acts 4, 32 through 35, Now the multitude of those who believed were of one heart and one soul. Neither did anyone say that any of the things he possessed was his own, but they had all things in common. And with great power, the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And great grace was upon them all. Nor was there anyone among them who lacked. For all who were possessors of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of the things that were sold and laid them at the apostles' feet. And they distributed to each as anyone had need. Um, one of the um, stories that we like to share about this is um, when we when we had the twins, Christopher was um, what, four years old when the twins were born. So we had <laughs> three little people, went from one, not one to two, but one to three. Um, and at that time, uh, uh, we didn't have jobs that had uh, insurance. We didn't have insurance. Um, one of the things that God did for us was he gave me favor with my obstetrician, who happened to be head of obstetrics at his hospital, who um, got me into a program that was um, in the hospital for those who didn't have enough money or didn't have insurance um, in order to have children. And he made sure that I was not treated like a, per like a number. He made sure that I was treated like a person. Um, he even made sure that the doctor that I had was a was that type of person who did not treat people, you know, like just another number or, you know, just another person who who poor person who didn't have. <laughs> um, uh, and because of uh, the problems that I had being in and out of the hospital, uh, beginning with my six months, I was in and out of the hospital a lot, um, trying to keep the keep the boys in <laughs> so that they could grow and have, so that their lungs could be fully formed before they were born. Yeah, so she kept going into premature labor over and over and over again. A contraction started happening at six months, so we were constantly running to the hospital. <laughs> uh, so they, <laughs> they made me a part of a, a program um, uh, testing a, um, a drug that would stop um, uh, contractions, premature contractions, and it was something that I had to to wrap around my wrap around my leg, and it would inject the the um, drug. It was pitocin um, at that time. It was uh, to stop the contractions whenever I had them, and they would they were able to monitor me at home. Um, uh, so, but they I was able to keep the boys in long enough for their lungs to be formed. <laughs> And then, at, at, of course, at that time, by the time when their lungs were fully formed and it, they could come, they didn't. Then it, it took a couple of more weeks, and I'm like, oh. 
<laughs> yeah, so that was, that was a whole lot of fun. Um, but the bill of all of that came to like $32,000. And when they, <laughs> they told us how much it was, all we could do was laugh because we didn't have that kind of money. Um, but what happened was, because of the program that I was a part of, we only had to pay $300 for the twins. So God's care for us. We paid less than we would if we had had insurance. Right. Because if we had insurance, the deductible would have been 500 So we paid less than you would have if you had had insurance. And not only that, for most of the lives of my sons while they were young, we did not have to buy them clothes. We didn't have to buy them shoes. All we had to do was buy them underwear, basically. But because there were so many people in our church with young, with children, they somebody were, was always somebody was always giving us clothes. They were always giving us shoes and good clothes, good shoes. So we didn't hardly, we didn't have to buy anything until they became teenagers. But that was the care of the body that we were a part of um, that we received. And, that, and I, I've seen, that we've seen, again, we've yeah. seen that here, the care that you have for each other. Um, and that's what the way it is supposed to be. And, that's, and I believe that's going to be a much big part of the days ahead also. Yeah. That, uh, because everybody that um, disagrees with the government is not Christian. They're not all believers. And I want you to understand that. There are many people that are going to be opposing the things that are coming to the United States uh, out of their uh, ethnic background, out of their cultural background, out of their political beliefs, out of their social beliefs, not necessarily because they believe God, not because they're believers in Jesus, but they're opposed to the, to the way that this country is being governed. And so they will be in great need. And can't you see how God is positioning his church to stand out in a time where there's going to be great need? He's positioning us. Some of them have never been cared for. They've always done it themselves. There are a lot of people that I pulled myself up by my own bootstraps, and I've been doing it myself, and they're going to come into a season when they can't do it anymore. And they won't be able to look to the government because they're opposed to the government. And the government isn't going to be looking to help them either. But guess what? God will have us as his church positioned to say we're a place of care. Isn't that awesome? And I believe that that's why we sense this anointing upon us to get ourselves prepared for the days ahead. I believe a time of plenty is coming. Just like it was when, I remember when Joseph told uh, um, Pharaoh the dream, of God, and God actually gave Pharaoh the dream, and you know he saw the seven years of, 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 of plenty and then seven years of famine, and to tell Pharaoh need to be getting ready. And so I believe that the, the uh, that's the role of the church right now, get ready for the famine that's coming, and we'll be in position to actually help. Wow. And I think they'll be interested in our God. <laughs> they'll run to our God. If God's people, if we're ready to present who Jesus really, really is 
Thank you, Lord. Yeah, because it's going to be important, I believe, in the days ahead that we not present Jesus as a Republican, evangelical, conservative, right-wing Tea Partier. God is not a Republican. He's not a Democrat. He's not an independent. He's not a libertarian. He's not any of that. In fact, do you understand that we are part of another completely different government? Wow, I'm excited about that. <laughs> we are ambassadors of a completely different government. Remember when Pilate asked Jesus about where he come from? My, my kingdom's not even of this world. So in other words, Pilate, you don't have to worry about me overthrowing the, the Romans because the way I govern, it's in people's hearts. And so no matter what type of government they're, on, they're under, whether it's a dictator, a republic, communism, socialism, it doesn't matter. My kingdom is established in their hearts. And you can put rules on them, you can put them in chains, you can put them in prison, you can put them in, in jobs and take away 80% of their money through taxes and you'll still never be able to control what I'm doing in people's hearts. Amen. Come on, bless Amen. the Lord. <laughs> See, no matter what, we win. That's the part I love. We win. Yeah. The next one, next benefit of being part of a faith family is that it's a place of connection. Uh, you'll recognize this scripture, Ephesians 4, 16. You can go ahead, dear. You can take it. From whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes the growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. So in connection, there is a mutual support of nurturing, which causes one another in the faith family to grow. We're able to share our experiences. We're able to share what God has done for us with one another. As you see other people going through the same things that you have, you can tell them what God has done for you. It encourages them. It builds them up. It, it gives them the strength to endure and to go on, to press. One of the stories I love to share also concerning this connection, how vitally important it is to recognize connection in the body. Remember the story in Acts, the ninth chapter, when Saul came to Jerusalem and trying to join the disciples. This is after his conversion. But the Bible says they were all afraid of him and did not believe he was a disciple. And if it were modern times, we wouldn't either. <laughs> Here's a guy who's been going house to house and putting people in prison, and some of those people were executed after they were put in prison. And now here's this guy. We've supposedly, his name is now Paul, and supposedly he's one of us. Now, how many of you would be thinking, no, this guy is just trying to trick us, and he's going to pretend to be us so that he can find out where we live, where we meet, and then he'll go back and tell the Jewish leaders where we are? Just watch how you talk. 
That's right. <laughs> He's supposed to be. <laughs> but just think about that. All of us would say the same thing like, no, I'm not so sure we want to let this guy in on this. No way. And so there was this guy by the name of Barnabas who stood up for him. And he said, no, he's legitimate because I heard him. Let me, I think, let me read it. Yes. Verse 27, Acts 9, 27 says, but Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. And he declared to them how he, meaning Saul, had, uh, he had seen the Lord on the road and that he had spoken to him and how he had preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus. Barnabas stood up for him and said, no, he's for real. God converted him. God changed him. In fact, I saw him preaching myself. He put his life on the line by speaking boldly in the name of Jesus. And then it says, verse 28, um, so he was with them at Jerusalem coming in and out, coming in and going out. Barnabas helped make the connection. And many of you are going to be that and do that for family members, for friends. You're going to be, it's good. that's what the, that's the benefit of being part of a faith family. There's somebody who's going to be a great connection for you. One of the things that often happened back in our, in our home church in St. Louis, always going back to stories back then, um, there was often connections uh, that helped people with employment. Sometimes there were people who needed a job. How many times has that happened? Somebody needed a job, and then there was another brother or sister in the church that's like, well, I just heard that they're hiring over such and such place. Or there have been people who have their own businesses, and they said, I can, you know, uh, I can use the help, you know. Let your son or your daughter come work for me. Um, and we've even had it with medical issues. Uh, we've had some uh, uh, doctors in our church. and uh, I was an anesthesiologist, uh, people who were nurses. Uh, and so when different ones got sick, they would go, even though it wasn't their patient or anything, they would go and check on them. And they would read the chart. And then they would say, tell them all the stuff that maybe their own doctor didn't tell them. Here is what this medication is for. Here is what you can expect to happen. Because, you know, they're so busy. A lot, of, a lot of hospitals, they're just overrun, short-staffed. And so here's another believer comes in and says, let me look at your chart. Oh, okay, this is what they have you on. This is what they're doing. This is the treatment that they have you. Um, they happen with our own family. My mom uh, uh, had uh, a, mini, a mild stroke, and my sister, who was an RN, <laughs> been one for many, many years, uh, they, they had a prescribed set of treatment all lined up for my mom. And my sister asked a question that none of us even, even would have known to ask. She said, what's going to be my mother's uh, quality of life after this set of treatment. We wouldn't have even known to ask that. And so because the doctor hesitated, and then he knew, then she knew, okay. Well, then you need to tell my mother that. Don't just say, here's the, pres here's the prescribed treatments we're gonna take you through without telling her what's going to be on the other side of this. That was a connection. That was a family connection. That was a believer connection. That was a faith family connection. 
that says, okay, now let's weigh this out. So that gave us all a little bit more to consider. Now we know, now we know what to pray. Now we know what direction to go or even to ask. Yeah. God will set that up. We had attorneys in our church. Sometimes there were decisions that we needed to make, and they would come and tell the pastor, well, I think that, you know, if you make that decision, here's what that's going to mean over the next few months and years. Why did God do that? I see all of those as those Barnabas connections, things that I wouldn't know, people that I really don't trust. And, hmm, I'm not so sure about this. And God will bring those Barnabas connections and say, oh, it's okay. Or, no, don't do that. But we wouldn't have even have known. You ever ever realize how, how sometimes we'll pray and ask the Lord for things or for answers and how God doesn't necessarily speak out of the heavens and tells us he'll send some person, a human being, <laughs> and give us wisdom. That's why his word says in the multitude of counsels, there is safety. Wow. So think of the uh, of the faith family as being part of a multitude of counsel, safety, connection. And then the last one that we want to talk about today is, uh, and then we're going to pray. It's something I really want to share with you. Uh, faith family is a place to learn conflict resolution. Oops. <laughs> learn how to fight. Fight fair. <laughs> And I, this is a scripture we're all, I know this isn't anything new. You're very familiar with this. Uh, read that there, Matthew 5, 23 and 24. Therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar and then remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go your way. First be reconciled with your brother and then come and offer your gift. Ah, faith family, place for conflict resolution. Before I offer my gift to the Lord, and the interesting enough, it says, if you know, if you remember that your brother has something against you, often we'll back off of that because we'll say, well, I've got nothing against them, but that's not what he says. He didn't say, if you have something against them. That's automatic. We know we have to do it if I have something against them. But it says, if you remember that your brother has something against you, well, why do I have to be the one to go first? <laughs> why do I have to go first? Because that's what he said, Do You get to the altar, you're ready to offer your gift in worship, and you remember that he's got an art against you. Go get reconciled. Why is that? Why is that so necessary? Because there's a, something about that process of us humbling ourselves. Humbling ourselves. Many times as a husband and a father, especially as husband. I mean, well, I got to apologize first. <laughs> Say amen, husbands. <laughs> well, I got to apologize. Why I always have to apologize first. Uh, but there is something that's very unique and special about that's happening in our own hearts when you know someone has a problem with you, but you go. You don't wait. Don't let it fester. Why? Because you care about them. You don't want to have their prayers hindered. 
Isn't that awesome? I see that hand. Uh-huh. I, I, another aspect of this is when you go in a polit- when you go to the the person who has something against you, or you where there's been a miscommunication or a misunderstanding, when you go to the other person, sometimes in your talking about what happened in your apologizing, you're actual you're giving that person your point of view. Sometimes that other person had a different point of view. They saw something differently happening. They felt something differently happening. They understood that something else happened. They didn't have the same understanding of what happened. So that when you go to apologize, it's even clearing up where you were coming from to begin with. That, That even helps to bring resolve. I like that. Everybody say amen. (laughs) Uh, A faith family practice is instant reconciliation. And it's very important that it's instant. Don't let it drag out for weeks and months and certainly not years. Um, And that's because the faith family understands that conflict uh, causes much greater damage to the relationship when it's left unresolved. Mm -hmm. And it spills over. I read this one book, the gentleman called it, uh, um, oh, it had to deal with when you're offended because somebody else is offended. It wasn't even your, he, he called it, you know, I forgot it the name of the book. It wasn't even, it wasn't even done against you. Yeah. Like someone said something to your brother and now you get offended because it was your brother. And so, uh, when we resolve things like this, I mean, when things go unresolved, then you end up with it spreading throughout the family. And it doesn't just among stay their be- among their friends because they tell and they talk about it. And now it's spread out. And, and, and like Carol just said, and it gets spread out and it's all based upon a misunderstanding. So go ahead, get it straight, cut it off before the enemy gets a chance to divide the family over it. Here's one. You'll love this one. This is from Acts, the sixth chapter, verses one through seven. This one deals specifically with with, uh, differences between ethnic groups, cultures. And uh, I love talking about this one because this is a big one on your pastor's heart. (laughs) Because this is the kind of thing that has stopped the church in America in particular many, many times. Acts the sixth chapter, verses one through seven, it says, now in those days when the number of disciples was multiplying, first of all, just look at what was happening. The disciples were multiplying. People were getting saved. The church is growing. There arose a complaint against the Hebrews by the Hellenists or by the Greeks because their widows were neglected in the daily distribution. I want you to understand that that was a that was a big deal. That would be like if it were today, blacks and whites, if the black people said, how come our widows are not getting it? All the whites are getting theirs. That's exactly what this was. And notice that it happened. The dispute arose while the church is multiplying. Why? Because more and more people are coming in. 
and more and more needs are coming in and more and more differences of life and views and how we see things. And that dispute arose. Then the 12, look at how it was responded to. Then the 12 summoned the multitude of the disciples and said, it is not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Wow, there's a different response because in today's world, it would be, it would be like this. Okay, we got a problem. We got an ethnic problem. We would probably say race problem here. I don't like using the word race because actually I believe we're just one race. We're just one race, different ethnicities, different cultures, different nationalities, but one race, the human race. The Bible says, Acts 17, God made from one blood all the nations of the earth. So did you know that we're blood brothers and sisters? Wow, that's an amazing one. We could stay there all day for just on that. <laughs> but here we've got an ethnic breakdown. And the perception is somebody's being treated unfairly. And they take it straight to the top. The 12 summoned the multitude of the disciples and said, it is not desirable that we should lead the word of God and serve tables. Now, we will be insulted today. That would be as if, though, let's bring it and let's talk to Pastor Paul about it. And he says, well, no, I'm not really going to. I'm not going to stop doing what God has called me to do to address this. I want you to settle this among yourselves. That's exactly what it was. Get some brothers. We'll appoint them. Y'all choose them from among yourselves. We would get insulted in the church in this house. How come the pastor isn't dealing with this? We need to have sermons preached across the pulpit about this. We need to, no, no. We need to have a seminar, a workshop. Uh, <laughs> No, no, no. You guys choose some brothers right amongst us. And they did. Brought them to the apostles. They laid hands on them and sent them forth to take care of it. Amen. What's the lesson? The answers to deal with this, it's among us. It's not trying to get it solved from the top down. That's what we got happening in America right now. The ethnic battles, the cultural battles, we're trying to get it solved from the White House or from the governor's mansion or from City Hall with laws and policies. It's not going to be solved there. Or we try to get our pastor to do it. Or some of the other denominations, let's make the bishops deal with it. You know, <laughs> it doesn't get solved top down. It said, choose some brethren among yourselves. Why? Because we know that they're filled with the Holy Ghost. You can hear from God. We'll get it solved. The other thing I love about this is that the apostles did not deny it. They didn't cover it over and say, well, no, that's not really what's happening. They didn't deny it. They didn't smooth it over. They just said, okay, here's how we're going to deal with it. Since it's happening among us, let's get it solved among us. And I believe that the issues in America concerning ethnicity differences and cultural differences and even nationality difference, we can solve it among us. By this shall all men know that you're Christ's disciples by our love, what? For one another. Come on, bless the Lord right now. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Um, in these final moments, I just want to share this with you. Uh, we experienced a lot of conflict 
in our years of ministry, um, youth ministry conflict, um, benevolence ministry conflict, uh, and I want to share just a couple of things before, um, and because I believe that this is something is going to be a big part of the healing in this region. Cumberland Valley Church, the barn, you're going to be powerful, powerfully used agents of healing in this region. Just to have so many different types of people come. And uh, your pastor's doing something that's very unique. I want, I want to tell you guys this. Carol and I have traveled back and forth around the country, different parts of the world. Your pastor does something very, very unique. I've been in places where you can have a predominantly white church and a few black people attending, few Latino, few Asian, you know, few people from the Caribbean, and but they never trust the minority groups in their churches to ever come in, to move into positions of leadership and speaking and ministering. They'll let them attend, but they won't say, come, minister to my congregation. Your pastor's doing something very unique that he brings all different kinds of people, black and white, and Latinos and African, male and female. That's a big one too. <laughs> <laughs> to have them stand before you and to speak the word of the Lord. This is very important. You are pioneering. It may seem like you know, because you'd only see a few people each time you're gathering, but you're pioneering something in the spirit. Amen. You're pushing back the forces of darkness that have been over this region for for years, for decades. Since the founding fathers, there are certain mindsets that came with them when they settled this land and some of those mindsets still remain to this day and so you're pioneering something about resolving conflict and bringing reconciliation you're not just talking it you're walking it and so you may have wondered why sometimes you feel this pushback in the spirit throughout the week and throughout the months and the years that you've been here, but this is a part of it because you are bringing true reconciliation. Often, every time we've come, I've heard your pastor talk about this, but I want you guys to know true healing, even for us, for those of us who God sent here. And I come from, I think I showed, shared it with you guys, I come from one of the most racist, segregated cities in the United States. Do you understand how healing that was for me and my wife to not only to be invited to the table here, but then to be given a place of honor? That's not our normal. You guys honored us. Not just for us to sit up here, but you honored us. You said, come, sit at the table. You invited us to dinner. The first time we ever came was uh, one of your fellowship dinners out there. That's the first time. 
and we were not treated as tokens and we weren't strange. You embraced us. <laughs> but you were pushing back forces that have been entrenched for years. You have put your lives on the line. Some of you, you probably got relatives and friends who have never personally in their lives ever shaken hands with somebody outside of their culture and their ethnicity, never talked to any. All they know is whatever they've seen on television or if they saw somebody when they happen to be shopping or driving by and all those kinds of things, but they don't know personally. You are pushing back against the forces of darkness. You are changing hearts and mindsets. Even within the body. I'm not talking about just the world. Within the body. That here is what genuine reconciliation looks like. I'm so glad to be in a place where it's not just theory. You guys don't make it theory. <laughs> this is the real thing. Uh, I've been in places where people were battling over positions and titles. We once had that when we were youth pastors. My wife and I were the youth pastors of the church and all of our, I'm going to say all of them, but a lot of our youth workers were battling for positions. And so uh, uh, the Lord told me and my wife to call all of the youth staff in for a meeting at our house. So we invited everybody to our house. And of course, we're wondering, wow, what are we, you know, what are we really going to say? And they all walked in. They were kind of sheepish and everything because me and my wife, we were kind of conf confrontational in those days because we were youth pastors. We were in our 30s in this inner city. So <laughs> different, you, prob you, prob you probably wouldn't recognize me. <laughs> But the Lord put on our hearts to wash everybody's feet. Amen. So we brought the staff into our house. Everybody's sitting in our living room all around. And we got out the water basin and we washed everybody's feet. And some began to weep and to cry because they realized we've been battling each other for positions. And that's not what this is about. And we told them, this, this is what we're here to do. We're here to serve these kids, serve their families, serve one another. That's what we're here for. Thank you, Lord. I want you to remember that. That's what we're here for. And all of every bit of the conflict that the enemy would seek to bring, this is how we resolve it. We do what Jesus did. Thank you, Lord. Lord, we thank you for this precious precious congregation for this precious faith family. Thank you, Lord God, for how you are positioning and preparing, empowering for the days that are ahead for this nation. I thank you for this anointing that crushes and breaks the yokes of the enemy the yokes of bitterness and bondage and prejudice and racism and division and strife. I thank you, Lord God, <laughs> for such a place as this that you, have that you have brought them together and you have raised them to this position to be a city that's set on a hill, to be like a lighthouse in the midst of darkness. 
And Lord, I thank you for each family, each and every family, each and every heart, each and every home. And I thank you for this word that you sent through pastor earlier today. We thank you for the angels that you have given charge over us to keep us in all of our ways. There was a prayer that the Lord gave us to pray over our children every single day. And I want to just release that right now. Lord, I thank you for grace and favor, for protection, and for wisdom for every single one of our brothers and sisters that's in this room, even for those that are here, this on the CD later. We release it upon them. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. The government of God be established in greater measure in this house. Righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. Lord, I thank you for the miraculous. And Lord, would you give us this land as a testimony <laughs> of your glory? Let this be known as the land of the free, not just talking about the United States of America, but literally a land that you provided for the free. That when people will even drive up on the grounds, step across the boundaries, that whatever demonic forces were torturing them, that it would drop off of them immediately. Make it a place of provision. A place of provision. Whereas all of these years there's been a provision of food coming out of the ground. But God, let it be a place of provision also of your power, of your anointing, of healing breaking forth. Thank you, Lord God. Lord, I thank you for making this a place. You, aren't letting, you guys are never looking for fame and all of that. But God, I thank you for making it a place that's famous for the glory of God is there. I pray for the fear of the Lord to come upon anyone that would even dare to come up on these grounds to bring hurt, harm, or danger. Let the fear of the Lord come upon them. I don't even normally pray like this, but I hear it. Let the fear of the Lord come upon them. Yes, Lord God. To the point where they'll either get saved or get out. <laughs> We cancel the plan of the enemy. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord God. I don't like giving all these folks no credit because they really ain't got no power. But all of the ones who are involved in witchcraft and Satanism that have, the Lord has just shown me by his spirit that they have come over to this land. They've been trying to work some stuff here, but it's canceled now in the name of Jesus. The blood of Jesus prevails. Thank you, Lord God. Thank you, Lord. I understand from some of the testimonies I've heard from Satan is that when their curses don't work, those demons come back and attack them. That's why they're so strong about that, because they're scared that if this don't work, then I'm going to get attacked with what I was trying to attack them with. Yes, Lord God, but we pray that it brings them to salvation. Some of them, they needed to come back up on them so they'll find out who's the real and true and living God. 
Yes, Lord God, but I sense this today, that this crown, we want to just declare it as holy unto the Lord. Yes, Lord God, that it is holy unto the Lord. Thank you, Lord God. The angels of the Lord guarding its very perimeter. The power of God saturating the soil. <laughs> yes, Lord. Let the divine purpose that you had in mind, yes. let it be come forth and be fulfilled in the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. 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 Bless the Lord. Amen. Amen.